Longest war. Yeah, there's not like a Farsi word for podcast, I don't think. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. We don't. You could even just use the English word podcast, because that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you recording still? All right. Um, long war, right? Yeah, longest war. broadcast. Masurab Jeloni Nick. امروز ملاقات دارم با امیده که جلب توجه همه تانه بیگم Do you want to do it in the other six languages you know? <laughs> so dude, is it six or seven languages you speak? I speak six languages So six languages, this guy tells me he speaks six languages And what do you think, like when most people tell you they speak six languages You're just like, yeah right, bullshit, whatever I remember like three Pashtun words from Afghanistan All right, thanks for joining us for episode six of the Longest War podcast. Today, our guest is Sarab. Sarab, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Sarab, born and raised in Afghanistan, served with the U.S. Army as an interpreter for five years uh, during Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan in the northern provinces, Mazari Sharif, and where else were you? Um, Jozajan. And those are both north central yes. Afghanistan. Uh, what's the northern border there? What is that? Uzbekistan? We have a border in Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan. Turkmenistan, ah, that's the one. Not nearly as dangerous as the, the border with Pakistan, right? No, no, or they're, Iran. they're very peaceful <laughs> countries, very peaceful countries. So let's talk a little bit about growing up in Afghanistan. Um, so you are 29, so you were born in 86, 1986? Seven. 87? That's right as like the Russian war is winding down. You grew up in Mazar-e-Sharif, Mez, as we'll refer to it rest of the show. Correct. Uh, what was it like growing up in Mez in the late 80s? In late 80s, it was pretty much peaceful in that time, especially after the Soviets left Afghanistan. For a couple of years, we had very peaceful society. You know, kids go to school, girls go to school. You know, I remember my mom, you know, going to school, teach the kids, the male and female kids. What did she teach there? She was teaching economy, geography, and some Persian, you know, there we have Persian subject. We call dairy, dairy subject. So it's kind of a language uh, classes. I didn't, so dairy is Persian. I didn't know that. Yeah, dairy is Persian. Per, they're same language, different yeah. dialects, different accents. Same like we have English, British English and American English. But they use very different accents and different dialects. Is that mostly um, like, so the, the dairy speakers mostly in Western Afghanistan because of the border along Iran? Um, yes, Western and also north, north of Afghanistan and central Afghanistan, like Bamiyan and Daikundi. And what did your uh, and your dad was a tailor growing up, correct? Yeah, my my dad he was he was soldier during the Soviet times, and after he got um, shot and he got injured, and uh, yeah, he was a tailor. He he been tailor for for many many years. He's my teacher, so he was. I remember he was taking me to tailoring when I was a kid before I go to school so I was he was taking me to to tailor shop to be a tailor and so for our listeners at home uh, Afghanistan I guess you'd say is renowned for their tailors every military installation in Afghanistan had one two maybe even three tailors on base right. uh, that we could go order suits from because they were just so perfectly sized great great craftsmanship great materials so it's nice to have more Afghan tailors in the U.S. Thank you. So you, your, your mother was a teacher. Your father was a tailor. You're the oldest of nine brothers and sisters. Yeah, um, I have eight brothers and one sister. 
And how old is your sister? Um, she's about 13 to 14 years old. So she has eight? Nine brothers. How many, how many of those are big brothers? Eight of them. Eight of them are big brothers. Big brother. One is younger than her. So whenever she starts dating a boy, that boy's going to have eight older brothers plus your father <laughs> to worry about. Yeah. Usually dating doesn't happen in Afghanistan. Yeah. So it's very hard to date. Yeah? yeah. So how did, you're married. Yes. How did you meet your wife? I met my wife in a wedding. And um, I saw her, and she was beautiful. And I told my mom, she's very beautiful. She, my mom knows her family very well. So I, I tried to find her phone number, so we start dating. It's very risky and dangerous to date yeah. a girl in Afghanistan. You could lose your life. Sure. So it's, uh, it's very risky. So, of course, uh, I fall in love with my wife. I love my wife. So that's, it's a love marriage. And so we're going to get back to this, but just to point out that your wife is still in Afghanistan. Yes, unfortunately, my wife is still in Afghanistan. I'm waiting for the visa, going to different departments, trying to ask for help, but they're telling, wait for the process. And it has been more than two years waiting for my wife to bring her here. Even she's not safe there. Not even my wife, my family is down there. All my family is in Afghanistan. It's only me and my brother. My brother's in Arizona, I'm in here. And your brother was also an interpreter for the yes, U.S. Army. Yes, uh, he served for, for seven years with different groups. Most of the time he spent um, with the Marines and the Army. Did you and him work in the same provinces together? No, we never, we never worked together, uh, actually. I, I was with a special force, um, seventh group, third group, fifth group. I worked with ASIC and Airborne. With SEALs, a couple of months with SEALs I work. We always been in different states. Uh, I never work a lot in Mez. Usually I was in very dangerous uh, states like uh, Badakhshan, Takhar, Kunduz, uh, Faryab. These are the very dangerous provinces in, in, in north of Afghanistan. But my brother spent almost all his service in Mez um, and Kunduz. So he was lucky. Yes, let's yeah. say lucky. Yes, he never had. He could shot. go home on the weekends. Yes, he <laughs> could. Yeah, and the place I live, I, I never could go out of the base because it was very dangerous to go out. Even I could lose my life, and um, I got injured, and you know, a couple times I had shot, I surgery on my shoulder, you know. So he he never had that tough life in in, in army, but he he he's a good guy. He really served from his deep of heart to United States. And he lives uh, in Arizona. Yeah, he lives in Phoenix, Arizona. And you're moving close next week. You're moving to uh, Salt Lake City, so you'll be pretty close to him. You'll be able to spend uh, my, some time with him and his wife, yes. his pregnant wife, and his... Uh, my he nephew. Has, he, yeah, she's pregnant with his his second son, right? Son, yes, yes. So that'd be nice to have, be closer to family. Because um, Afghans are... Family is very important in yes. Afghan culture. For, for us, family is very important. I think for everybody's family is important, but for us... We can't live without our family. Like I called my brother. I says, you know, I'm going to transfer from here. And he said, where are you coming? I told him, you know, I'm coming to Utah. It's about nine hour drive to Arizona. So he was very excited. You know, um, I think he's my everything. My brother's my everything. I, I never thought that I would love my brother that much. When I came from Arizona to here, it, every day in here was so hard without him. Sure. Because he's the only one I have in America. So let's back up a little bit. Were you and him close growing up? Yes, um, of course. In Afghanistan, you all grew up in the same house, around the s same table that you eat the dinner, lunch, and breakfast. So how old is he? Um, he's um, 27, two years younger. He's my third brother. So I have, it's me, my second brother, he's the third one. So in 2001, you were, you were about 14 or 15. 
So yes. he was around 12, 13 years old. He was very thin. So you, were both, you were both kids, young kids. Yes, young kids. So 9-11 happens. Taliban had been harboring Al-Qaeda in the eastern provinces like Kunar, Nuristan. They were coming through from Pakistan, from like Torkham. A few months later in October, the U.S. shows up, starts uh, the initial action was the bombing at Tor Bora, right? What was that experience? What was that feeling like for you and your family when American boots started landing on the ground? You know, Nick, um, the day we found out that, that 9-11 happened, it was very sad for my family. For most of Afghans, it was very sad because there's a lot of human in very high buildings. Unfortunately, this Al-Qaeda, you know, blew up that, that buildings, that those towers, and there's thousand thousand people life you know they took the life of the people and it was very sad my father says oh i remember like right now you know my father we were in taylor shop it says 9 11 happened and we were listening to radio and it was my father was saying it's so sad you know there is two three thousand human die forget about the religion what religion they are they're humans they're like me and you and everybody else and he says there will be a revolution something will be changed in afghanistan very soon because in that time, you know, Taliban and Osama bin Laden, they were in Afghanistan. So after that, you know, we noticed right away that, you know, U.S. troops coming and bombing Al-Qaeda and Taliban and Tora Bora, these things. And we were very excited. We were celebrating that day that, okay, Americans coming. America's coming. We will be free. We have our we are freedom. We, we, we're not supposed to have beer. We are not supposed to have a turban. We have freedom to listen to music, to any kind of music that you can enjoy. And you have a freedom to watch the movies and any kind of movie you want. And you have a freedom of speech, whatever you say, whatever is your right, you can talk. So it was a great day in Afghanistan. I remember it till today. Two points on that. One, uh, a lot of people don't understand how strict and brutal the Taliban actually were. For instance, like artwork, paintings, drawings, like all of that stuff was outlawed, right? Music, movies, all of that stuff was, uh, how did they f phrase it? Um, they, were, they were idols, right? Like false idols. So nothing was allowed in the Taliban. Even the beautiful Buddhas, these ancient Buddha, mm -hmm. Buddha statues in Bamiyan province, they blew those up. Uh, once the Taliban were taken out of power, like people, it was the first time in, what, 20 years that people could express themselves, right? So, like, you know, the jingle trucks yes. that have all the paintings of the flowers and everything? Yes. I mean, that's because prior to the U.S. invasion, they weren't allowed to decorate or yes. anything, correct? Correct. So, the Taliban were deeply unpopular in Afghanistan, uh, but they were brutal, so they ruled with an iron fist. So, a lot of people just had no—like, your family had no choice. You couldn't fight the Taliban, right? They were too strong, too oppressive. Now, Massoud was murdered a few days before 9-11, right? Correct. And that was obviously intentional. This would be a brief history lesson for people. Like, Massoud is one of the greatest generals that's ever lived. Massoud, uh, the Lion of Panjir, they called him. Had Massoud lived, the war in Afghanistan maybe would have lasted two or three months because we would have had this super strong, honorable, and honest ally partner on the ground that could have uh, assisted us. So when Massoud was killed, was there a... Like, your father was like something... Did he, did he think something was up? Like, the fact that... Um, you know, that they... Like you say, we had not we had not the freedom of to have art, have a picture, have a painting in our house. Of course, we had we are not. Even if you see something that you want to decorate something or you want to make a nice flower, like a, a table, like in here, you're not allowed to to have that. 
for them it was against the religion. In reality, no, it's not against the religion. I'm Muslim. You know, I know that it's not against the religion, you know. So anything, it was against them, against their law. Forget about the religion. They never followed the religion. Anything they make the law, it was against that. You should be executed or you should be dead. The penalty was dead. And um, the day, you know, Masood, um, he was a great guy. God bless him. He was a real man. And the last minute he fight for the freedom of his country. He was a guy that still in Afghanistan, the people gave example, be like a Masood, that he fight until the last minute, not for, his, for the world, not for the, the, for the, to having the power. No, he fight for the freedom of the country. And um, the moment we heard in the radio that um, those Al-Qaeda, those two journalists killed Masood, that was very sad. A very dark day in Afghanistan. I'm very sure if Masood was alive, he was not letting a lot of other problems to happen in Afghanistan. So he, I believe there was some, a purpose to kill him. Sure. Yeah, there, was a, there was a goal to kill him. But yes, it was a very sad day. I remember you know, my father, my family, all Afghan people, they were very sad. They lost Masood. He, he was, was a national a hero. He was a national hero. He's a good example for every Afghan. You know. He's a good example for everyone. For everyone, yes. Not enough to fight for the freedom of the country, fight whatever is the right. Right. And never be, you know. Um, He's something that every, every man can teach their son about. Yes. What a good, honorable, honest, uh, you know, man looks like. Right. That's very true. It was a shame. So for the next few years, you're finishing high school. The war is starting to go on around. Um, at what point did you decide that you wanted to become an interpreter and go work with the army? Um, after I finished school, I was at college. I graduated from social science, took my bachelor's degree from psychology and geography. Um, I was at college, and of course, I, my father always sent us to language course to learn English. I was telling my father, Father, you're sending me to English course. What should I do with this English? You know, because I was a little lazy and the grammar, it was very hard for me to learn. But my father was always following me to go and learn English. He knew that I can use English. English is a good language that I can, I can, you know, take advantage of that. Why not? He was always giving example. If you know one language, you're one person. If you know two languages, you're two person. If you know 10 languages, you're 10 person. And he was right. And same thing in college, we, I learned English. And, you know, of course, I see um, there was a lot of uh, family problems. And it made me to, okay, you know, let's be a linguist. You also serve your country, also you serve America, right? Same time you serve your country to protect your country from Al-Qaeda and Taliban. And you could be a good source to help your country and also America. And also remove the bad people from the world. So that made my mind to take a decision. It is like, it's a big help. It is a big decision to take to serve both countries and the world. Forget about countries. You're serving the world in reality. You know, helping to kill the Al-Qaeda and remove these bad people and ISIS. It's a big help for the world. You know, they're like a bacteria. Of course, in part of your body is a bacteria. You'll clean that. Same thing, these people like a bacteria. Right. That's what I believe. So that made me to take decision and, and join um, use troops. First, I started um, with US Army. Then um, I went to Special Force, 10 Mountain Group, of course. Yeah, you've been there too. Oh, They're yeah. great people. They're fantastic. Very brave people. I have a good memories from them. Um, I went to 7 Group. Amazing. They treat me like a brother. You know, they treat me as a family member. I never felt that I'm not belong to these people. 
or Alabama National Guard. Even I work with Guam National Guard. They're fantastic people. With the SEALs, I worked for a couple months. Um, I got injured. Um, the ID blew me up. So I, I quit being with, with SEALs. Then I went back to Army. And so I spent my five-year life with a U.S. Army, with U.S. forces. That was the best moment of me. You know, I was so proud to serving from my deep of heart for my country and for United States. These people are great, you know. I always feel that I'm at home. I always feel that they are the, the real people. You share the love, whatever you have problem, they help you. Even there was an attack on us, an ambush on us, or we were in trouble. There are the people saving, we are the people saving each other's life. Right. I see the love down there that look at this. Don't worry where are you from. Don't worry what state you're from, what unit you're from. But still, we are here to help each other right. and protecting each other and saving our life and making armor our body to protect our brothers. Right. So that was amazing. It was a, let's say, it was a revolution in my life. Sure. It changed my life. For the folks at home that don't understand exactly what an interpreter's job is, like what were your responsibilities when you were with these units? You know, a linguist a, a interpreter job is a very big job. It's a big responsibility. You can't imagine how big it is. Like most of the time we were in big meetings. There were like operation meetings between Afghan and, United, and U.S. forces. So we were the tongue and the eyes of both sides. So whatever my, my, my commander saying me to tell those Afghans, to, you know, to tell them we were going here tonight and we were bombing these places, we were attacking these villages, there's a lot of bad people, there are good people, this and that. If you miscommunicate a little bit, probably hundred and hundred people lose their life. Right. So that was a big responsibility for me. You and there, know. Were, there were also, there's a lot of cultural differences yes. between Americans and Afghans. You told me a story. I'd like you to tell that again. It was your, uh, I think it was the company commander. He told you to say something. Right. And you knew. <laughs> Can you tell that story? You know, um, one day, uh, commander of mine, he was so mad on Afghan uh, forces. He told me, let's go. So we were like neighbors, like, there's a big battalion, and back big battalion, there's a company of us inside of the ANA or Afghan National Army battalion. So he told me, let's go to talk with battalion commander of Afghans. So I went there, and he was so mad. He used some very bad words. Tell this, and so he used even some F words. Tell this, and do this, and that, and that. He was so mad. I look at my commander. I says, okay, you know. So I filter this, whatever he says. <laughs> I didn't say anything bad stuff at all. I feel sometimes guilty that I should tell whatever, this is my job, whatever. He tell, I should tell them. But I think it was not the smart to tell. A linguist job should be also very smart. You have to be careful. What are you translating? <laughs> right. You cannot translate everything for those people. Because if I was translating my commander words to that Afghans, they would be mad. Even they could kill us. Right. Because it was a very bad language to use them. And those Afghans, you know how they're crazy. <laughs> when you say something bad about them, they don't care who you are. They'll right. shoot you. So after we so finished like your this, commander is basically like, you tell that mother effer yes, to do this. Yes, use F words, yes. And then you turn around and you go, uh, gentlemen, 
the commander respectfully requests yes. that you do. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I remember that. Yeah, I told you, know, my commander is respectfully, you know, asking, please tell your troops there's a bad people coming from there and you have to be aware of this and why you guys just not, you know, contacting ambos, just chilling. So he used a lot of F words and I translate very nice way, very respectfully says, you guys are great. You guys working <laughs> this and that. And after I left the meeting and I told my commander, I'm very sorry. He said, why are you sorry? I said, you know, I was not honest with you. I said, what do you mean you're not honest with me? I told him, you know what? Whatever you told me, I didn't translate this. And he was shocked. Are you kidding me? I said, yes. I said, what do you tell? I said, guess what, commander? I'm Afghan. I know these people very well more than anybody else. If I use those words to, use the, to, to, to them, they could kill me and you both of us at the same time. Me and you, we are two, they're ten. Even if you're ten, they're one, they'll kill you. They don't care. For them, respecting their family is important than anything else, even right. more than their life. And that moment, my commander gave me a hug. He says, I love you. You're great. <laughs> even he was trusting me more than those linguists they hire from America. They call Cat 1, Cat 2. They are more had a security clearance. Right. He never took in that guy, but taking me because he trusts me more than them. Right. Because, I mean, the Cat 1 and Cat 2 guys, I mean, they're, they're good guys, right? But, they're great. They're but they're great. born in America. They they're don't. They have no idea what the culture of Afghanistan is actually like. Exactly, you're right. They don't know about the culture. Even there's some special dialogue, there's some slangs. They don't know how to translate those slangs. So that's why more Americans, like you, you know, you prefer to take your Afghan language than American language, right? right? Because you knew they have some qualities they don't have. They know some slangs that they don't know. So even in here, I came since America to America, I learned very formal English. But when I came here, I learned a lot of slangs. Right. Even in the first time, you know, um, it didn't make sense for me, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like in the beginning, someone came and I was in the rush and he told me, hey, man, hold your donkey. I said, what do you mean? I don't you have donkey. You mean here. hold your horses? <laughs> yeah, hold yeah. your horse. Or hold <laughs> I said, what is this, man? Hold your horse. I don't have a horse. Then I noticed later on that he told me, calm down. Calm down. So there's a lot of <laughs> sweet slangs that I don't know. Even right. in process of learning. In four years, three years, I've been here every day. I'm learning some new slang. Same thing in Afghanistan. There's a lot of different slangs. Yeah, that's funny. I've never even actually thought of how confusing that would be from an outsider that doesn't understand. Like to say, hold your horses <laughs> when they're just standing there. Uh, man, that's was that like at work? Did that happen? Yeah, you know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So who was the first to join... Did you or your brother, which one of you started working with the Army first? Uh, my brother. My brother, um, he, he finished high school. He still went to join U.S. Army. But I was in the middle of the college, and I thought, oh, well, you know, let's finish college. It's education. Let's finish college, then you go. So I finished college. The moment I finished college, I qualified for being a linguist. So I went. The first time, that gave me a very dangerous spot because all those peaceful uh, states or the provinces were full of linguists. Right. So nobody was going to bad locations. I said, that's fine. Let's go. You know, whatever happened, God will save us. So your brother started about two years before you? Two years before me, yes. So he did it for seven years, you did it for five years, and you stopped around the same time? Uh, no. In 2000, end of the 2013, um, I got my, because I was working with a special force, and I was uh, receiving a direct threat from Taliban 
and warning from Taliban because I was working with the special force and we had very bad operations and they know me very well. So my commanders, they, they send me some recommendations and they send a lot of letters to the U.S. embassy to give my visa as soon as possible. So I think my process of visa, it, 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 it happened very fast. It's expedited. My brother, yes. That's why I came and after me six months, um, after me, my brother came. So the last unit I was working at was 82nd Airborne. That was the last unit. And I left the job and the tomorrow I booked a flight and came straight to Arizona. Did you get to go home and say goodbye to your mother or your father? Very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. You know, they dropped me off on the airport. You know, the process was you have to wait three other months after your visa to there's a company, IOM. They'll bring you here. I said, I can't wait for three months here. I'm not safe. I right. should be out of here as soon as possible. I paid for the ticket from my pocket. I just, I'm done. That's fine. 1500 I'll find this. But the life is more important, you know. I came straight, but I was lucky enough. I had uh, my aunt. She lives in Arizona. So she helped me a lot to be there. She's in Phoenix? Phoenix, Arizona. So you flew into Phoenix. Uh, you, you moved in with her? But I was there for, for a couple of weeks. Then I moved to my apartments. Mm -hmm. um, there was a company, Catholic Charities. They're very great people. They helped me a lot the first three months to give my rent and this stuff. I do appreciate them. They're very great people. So let's be clear. So the point of the visa program for the interpreters is to relocate them to the U.S. once they're done with their service because it is so dangerous for them to stay in Afghanistan because the Taliban, I mean, they want to kill these guys, right? They, they work for the U.S. They serve the U.S. So right. they have bounties on their heads. They have constant threats. So the visa program allows interpreters to come to the U.S. Their families can't come with them quite yet. They still have to go through another three-year process. But what kind of financial assistance? or Did the government provide you with anything? Or did they just no, drop you off? No, in? no, they, they just dropped me off here. Um, like I said, there's some, uh, some charities mm -hmm. that help the immigrants. Right. Like uh, IRC, Catholic Charities. These people, they help you to give you three months rent. After that, if you want, there's, they'll help you to find some job. But I was lucky enough, I found my own job. I work, started working at 7-Eleven um, for a couple months. That was very tough for me, working in a big 7-Eleven, big gas station by myself, working 14-hour shift, no overtime, giving $7 an hour. And that guy was taking advantage of me. So working 14 hours at night. So um, I was, like I say, lucky enough that my father was a tailor. I was a tailor. I'm a custom-made tailor. Then after that, I gave a test to qualify for the Nordstrom's. So I was lucky enough and I, there was a nice lady. She's always a great lady for me. She has been very always a great lady and she helped me, you know, to be a tailor at the Nordstrom's. So I started working at Nordstrom 2014 and being a tailor. And after that, there was another opportunity to be, a, there's an opening in Pittsburgh to be an alteration tailor show manager in Nordstrom's. So um, after a couple interview, I qualified to being a Norsham alteration tailor shop manager, which has have a responsibility of 15 people, 15 tailors working for me. Um, so moved here and found great people, very nice people. They've been very great for me. I do appreciate all their helps. Basically, when you first moved here, you didn't know anybody, you didn't have any friends, any family. No. And no. I think you said um, the only places you went were to work, the, the halal market. And home, right? Yes. Um, I came to Pittsburgh. It was totally different state for me. A different city, a lot of trees, 
too much humidity. <laughs> and um, it was very stressful for me in the beginning to be in Pittsburgh. It was very, very stressful. And going sometime to the um, the halal market, go there and, and buy some grocery. But I didn't know anyone. One day, um, one of my tailors called me downstairs. He says, there's a customer. He's very hard to fit. So if there is that kind of condition, and they'll call me downstairs. So I went there and I see there's a guy, his name is Dave, and there's a nice lady, her name is Megan. So I met this two and I was t- giving her advice, you know, do this and that, I did a fitting. And uh, Megan was, actually Dave was telling Megan, you know what, since I came from Army, you know, I lost a lot of weight. My waist is more smaller, I have bigger ties and hips. The moment I found out he's an Army, trust me, he said, hey, Dave, you know that you're my brother. And he was a what? I said, yeah, you're my brother. And the moment he says, are you serve army? Yeah, I serve an army too. The moment I introduced myself, trust me, I almost cry. I almost cry. I gave hug to Dave and Megan. That day was my best day. I was so happy that finally I found someone. They were military. You know, every time I see someone as in military, they serve the United States. I don't know why is that, but I feel in my body something happens that they're your brothers. We have a very deep connection. Even I didn't meet them for never. Right. Like I met you in the beginning. Right. I was so happy that there's another brother I joined with me. I know him. He's my family. You know, I have eight, ten brothers in Afghanistan, but this is another brother in America. I feel so close. I don't know why every time I see these military people that serve United States, I have I feel that I have a very deep, deep connection. It's like almost a blood connection with them. Right. And you've been, I mean, you're considered a part of the post 9-11 veteran community here, right? Yes. Like it's, um, we all went through these experiences together. We have problems as veterans relating our stories to people, but you were there. Yes. You know exactly what we're talking about. Right. Uh, we talked earlier, we talked about the smell of the markets in Afghanistan. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's only two people in Pittsburgh that know what that smell is. And it's right. me and you, you know what I mean? Like all the food and everything. Right. It's great. <laughs> it's, uh, and it's very unique. It's, and it's something that just my wife can't understand no matter how hard she tries. Uh, <laughs> and it's not even just the younger veterans. Like today, this morning, we had an event with a breakfast with the older veterans. And you shared a little bit of your story with them today. And as they were leaving, you got more hugs and handshakes than yes. I could even count from these that guys. That they, you, you weren't just accepted into the young vets community, but the older veterans too, because I mean they went similar experience. They had interpreters in Afghan or in Vietnam, in Korea, in Germany, in Japan. Uh, so it's it's something that was common across all these different eras of war, and they understand that that bond we all share it. You know. Right. Um, I believe we're all same. Like I see those people, some of them, it was a Navy and Marines, Army. But at the end, I feel that we're all same. We're all brothers. We all serve and we're proud that we serve United States. And of course, as an Afghan, I just want to say, you know, I love this country. I don't know, but I feel this country is great. And I'm very proud to serve this country. You know, I love America. This is a great country. Why we shouldn't appreciate being here instead of hating this country? No. You know, I, I, I'm ready to sacrifice everything for this country. Even, you know, I had the bomb blew me up. I had shot because of I serve the United States. This shows my honesty and my love. Sure. You know? We talked earlier today. You were, said you don't want to ever go back to Afghanistan. No, no. I, like, I this never, is home now forever. This is home. This is home for me. The people never treat me that I am not belong to this people. So if the people give you love, if the people respect you, if the people accept you that you belong to here, 
If they say, thank you for your service, what should I do in a state? Shouldn't I give love for these people and this land, for, for this country? Of course. This is my country. This is my home. I'm ready to serve again. Even I'm thinking to go back to National Guard and serve again for being a National Guard. I could serve. Still can help this country. And there's another chance for me to serve this country. Sergeant Sarab. <laughs> yes, they gave me a nickname, Sergeant First Class Sarab. <laughs> <laughs> or, well, you've already been to college, maybe Lieutenant Sarab. Yes, I've been to college. Even if you went to college, you could go straight be a captain in the Afghan army. Oh, yeah? So a captain, if you demote it, it could be a lieutenant in United States Army. <laughs> what rank was your father when he was in the Afghan army? He was a soldier. He was an enlisted soldier? Yes. You, you, you had no choice. You should go to be a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Your dad was an Afghan army guy. You're a U.S. army guy. What about your brother? Does he want to join the National Guard too? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, maybe one day he'll join. He loved to, to serve. In the beginning, he was thinking to go to Air Force. And then he said, oh, you know what? I, I could go to, you know, FBI. You know, it's kind of all service, you know. So he's always, his mind is everywhere, you know. But he has better life now. And maybe one day he, you know, I will encourage him to go to National Guard. But I love to go back to army. You know, I love that life is great. You know, I always enjoy it to being uh, in army and serving the United States. So why not? Army's, well, you don't want to be a loser and join the Navy or anything stupid like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're all great. <laughs> you know. Ah, said like a true American. <laughs> Se pordam ba chashman nezeh